Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast Supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com spoken today. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot. We charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hey there, joystick wagglers. Can you believe it? We're racing towards the end of Series 2 of Games Master. It's been a fun time on the Games Rig, but it's almost time to head into the Games Master Academy and hang out with Dexter Fletcher for a series. But we can't round off Series 2 without hearing from you fine folks. So get in touch with your feedback for Series 2 of Games Master by emailing feedback at underconsultation.com with either an MP3 or written word, and it will be featured on the show, which will go out at the end of October. Let us know your favourite episodes, challenges, celebrities, features, and all your least favourite moments in between. Send your message to feedback at underconsultation.com or find us on social media at underconsolepod on Twitter or at under.console on Instagram. Enjoy the episode. This is Under Consultation, an episode-by-episode podcast guide through the UK's greatest video game challenge TV show, Games Master. I am one of your hosts, Luke Owen, not a fan of shredded wheat. And ruminating on the global implications, I am Ash Versus. This episode aired on the 25th of February 1993 to Unlimited. No Limit is still number one at the top of the charts, but it's a bizarre new entry topping the UK movie box office that we want to talk about. It's Hellraiser 3, Hell on Earth. In Hellraiser 1, Clive Barker showed you his vision of a private hell. In Hellraiser 2, he took you on a journey inside the inferno. Now, the terror returns in mankind's final confrontation with evil. The third entry in the Hellraiser series, this film should have arrived a lot earlier. It should have followed on not too far from Hellraiser 2, but there were issues. 
20th Century Fox infamously dicked around heavily with Clive Barker's Nightbreed. They made a lot of edits. They marketed it as a slasher film, which it is not. Mm -hmm. And as a result, it underperformed at the box office. It soured the creative process and Hellraiser 3 fell into development hell. There were a number of ideas being banded around before that point, some of which involved stories in ancient Egypt, others of which involved a building that was itself a lament configuration. And some of those ideas from before it went into development hell did make it into the final film, which is so 90s. Oh, yeah, it really... So my friends and I did a marathon watch-along of all of the Hellraiser movies up until... I think the, the most recent one that we could watch was the, the remake that they did a few years back. I say, I say a few years back, about 10 years ago or so at this point. But the jump from Hellraiser 2 to Hellraiser 3 is very, very grand, and it feels very, very 90s. It's very 90s. There is some early CGI in this movie. And also, importantly, the visual tone of the film changes dramatically because the first two Hellraisers, whilst they did have American funding, were shot here in England. Mm. This was the first movie for which the production moved to America. And not only did it move to America, but Pinhead went out into America. I yes, mean, he, he, did. he literally walked down the street with his Cenobites. It feels proper metal, this movie. It is proper metal. It's got a song in it by Motorhead called <laughs> Hellraiser. Clive Barker directed the music video for that, which features Lemmy playing poker with Doug Bradley as Pinhead. <laughs> that song was originally recorded by Ozzy Osbourne, but was written in part by Lemmy. So Lemmy covered his own song for Hellraiser 3, Hell on Earth. But Motorhead was only one of a number of bands that contributed to the soundtrack, and indeed some of those bands appeared in the film. There's a nightclub which is very instrumental to the film's plot. There's a band playing on stage. They were in the soundtrack as well. And the Cenobites got an upgrade because it's the 90s now. Who needs Butterball when you can have CD Head? That's so awesome. I, I, this may be a controversial statement, but I prefer Hellraiser 3 to Hellraiser 2. I'm not a huge fan of any of the Hellraiser movies. And by that, I mean, I think Pinhead is one of the iconic villain designs, more so than Jason. Jason was designed by convenience. Mm -hmm. At first, it was a bag. And then it was a hockey mask just because a hockey mask happened to be brought in at the right moment. But Pinhead, just so beautifully, exquisitely designed and such an amazing makeup job that even when it's done badly, which it was in some of the later movies, oh yeah, it still actually looks kind of good it, it's a fascinating franchise because like you i'm not hugely like i think the first one is a bit of a masterpiece but i could only say that the first one is genuinely any good like i i like three from a sort of like very sort of campy metal nature because at the start of this movie pinhead has actually been separated back to his two core forms you've got pinhead the demon and Captain Elliot Spencer, who was the British Army captain who discovered the Lament configuration, was in pursuit of pleasure and torment and merged with the demon and became the pinhead we saw of one and two. Now, it was that human influence that kept Pinhead in control. So when we discover Pinhead in this film, there is nothing holding him back. There is no reasoning. In theory, this could make him an unstoppable, terrifying force. But for some reason, it means he quips. <laughs> Yeah. He has zingers in this movie, which is something I would never associate with Pinhead as a Hellraiser, other than no. 
please, no tears. It's such a waste of good suffering. But that's not a zinger. That's just a cruel line. Yeah. However, I will say that with this movie, I can almost say I actually had some fun watching it because the practical effects are still great. The early 90s CGI is yeesh. <laughs> but it is a snapshot in time. It is a snapshot of an early 90s horror movie that was, for the most part, cheap and cheerful. Yeah, I think like this film, Jason Goes to Hell and Freddy's Dead all look the same. I would mostly agree. I think Jason Goes to Hell actually looks the worst. I mean, it looks like a TV movie. <laughs> yeah, it looks like it was shot on video and not even like pro-grade quarter-inch videotape. I'm talking <laughs> maybe VHS yeah i was just trying to remind myself like what the future of the hellraiser franchise is but they had like another sort of reboot slash restart of the series a couple of years back that had heather langenkamp in it i, I remember that i've never actually seen the film but that was the one where they lost doug bradley for good and i think they've been talking about doing a direct sequel to the first movie and ignore the rest I think at this point that can make sense. And there are some people that will get very upset with that, as happened with Halloween. But you know what? While you may need a flowchart to follow the Halloween story and the various different tangents it takes off, because you've got Halloween 1, 2, and then optionally 4, 5, 6, or you've got Halloween 1, 2, H2O, and Resurrection, or you've got Halloween and then Halloween 2018, and then you've got Season of the Witch. Yeah. <laughs> but at least all of those movies started as Halloween movies, something we can't say with Hellraiser. Absolutely, yeah. And while you said you did prefer this to Hellraiser 2, you were not alone because most critics did as well. It actually got more positive reviews than Hellbound, and Jackie Eoville of Empire said it's a good horror sequel that succeeds in its simple goal to appeal to mainstream American teenagers. And that's what this was, this was the mainstream Hellraiser. One last thing to mention on Hellraiser before we do move on, because we've spent a lot of time with Pinhead, is that one of the great sadness in life is that he was not part of Freddy vs. Jason, and he was part of one of the drafts. At the end of the movie, they both get sucked down into hell, and then they're about to have another fight. And it's like, it's not only that, but it's like it's a wrestling ring that's surrounded by the world's worst people, you know, like history's world people, like Hitler's in the crowd. And then all of a sudden, they get chains whipped around them. It pans up to reveal Pinhead, who says the line, what seems to be the problem here? Honestly, I've got a soft spot for Freddy versus Jason anyway. I would have popped big for that. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and at that point, Doug Bradley would have probably been up for it because really there was no dignity to the Hellraiser franchise <laughs> at that point. But if you are interested about Hellraiser, the first couple at least, and you have access to Shudder, there's a really, really good documentary on their leviathan it originally came on an arrow box set of the first two or three movies i would recommend watching it because it is a fascinating insight into the creative process of those films well kind of horror related in the new releases this week the simpsons bart's nightmare is released on the super nintendo a game which you controversially said was quite good it's okay <laughs> it, no it's but wait as i think i said at the time it's quite good when compared to the other simpsons games it's a solid rental for me i would enjoy playing it i did enjoy playing it i even played it a bit after the episode in which it came up in discussion last i was still pretty sure at it <laughs> <laughs> but I played it. Have we got anything happening in the magazines this week? Well, still in the News Network section of Games Master magazine, we have what I think was an incredibly misplaced publicity stunt from Sega Europe, because they have announced that they're adopting a dolphin. Oh, I'm assuming this is to promote Echo, right? Yes. As the article says... 
It's long been known that owing to various hormonal differences, Sega are unable to give birth to any dolphins of their own, so doctors are pleased with the decision to adopt. This will stop Sega getting broody in months to come, said a famous gynaecologist yesterday. Sega, meanwhile, are planning to call the dolphin Echo in an astute if rather cynical marketing move to promote the game Echo the Dolphin. Rumours that Nintendo are planning to go further and adopt a plumber, a go-kart and a green fighting man from Brazil, as well as a small dinosaur, have not been confirmed by the company, which isn't surprising, as we've just made them up. More on Echo the Real Dolphin in the news later on, assuming it does something interesting like escaping or talking. In the meantime, here are some gratuitous pictures of Echo. Imagine some weirdly new age music to complete the awesome audio-visual experience. From the important diary date section around the time that this episode went out, February 24th, so yesterday, Wednesday, marked three years to the day that Laura Palmer was murdered. Oh, there you go. So for the one for the Twin Peaks fans there. Also, it was me Wednesday. <laughs> <laughs> On today itself, if you've got a Game Gear and fancy picking up a copy of the reworked classic Super Space Invaders, you can do that. So there's a big game release. Super Space Invaders for the Game Gear. Sorry, that was not on my list, unfortunately. Shocking. Well, tomorrow, if you've got an Atari Lynx, you'll be able to pick up Rolling Thunder and friend of the podcast, Pit Fighter. <laughs> God, that game gets around, doesn't it? Also, a game we'll be talking about again very soon, Lemmings 2 comes out on this day. Oh, cool. Thank you. Welcome to the Games Master Oil Rig, where chapped lips and a ruddy complexion are just some of the hardships we endure for a spot of games playing. So while I slip on a bit of anti-chafe, let's go over to the installation's chief red coat, Uncle Games Master. Well, we've seen a bit of a trend for the last few weeks, which is they're reusing the intros from some of the older episodes of Series 2, and this one is no different. This is the same intro that we had in Episode 7. It is. It's the same intro we had in Episode 7, and also I've got many notes for the next couple of episodes that say this linking segment feels familiar. But as we also said... Doing retakes isn't exactly easy. If it was a studio-bound series, they could have gone to Dom, okay, shave off the beard, slap the jacket back on, and come back into the studio to record a few links to camera. Bit more difficult when you're using a disused power station. Sorry, when you're based on an oil rig. (laughs) Do you remember what challenges were in episode seven? Of course I don't. (laughs) (laughs) Not a f***ing chance. Uh, The three challenges were myth... The very cheeky Chaffee on that one. Oh, yes, Myth. I remember that vaguely. Yep, the uh, finale was a corker on Super Tennis. Oh, yes. See, you're mentioning the challenges, and I remember the challenges because that Super Tennis was still is one of my favourite sporting challenges we've had this season. Absolutely. And our celebrities were the Gladiators. Dun, 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 dun. <laughs> and lovely... Lovely jet. Indeed. Well, let's find out what we're playing first up this week on Games Master. Greetings, and welcome to the Games Ring. For this evening's hors d'oeuvre, I've opted for one of my favourites, the Lemmings 2. The Lemming is an exasperating breed of rodent that seems hell-bent on trying to kill itself. Your job is to guide these lemmings to safety by assigning them with certain functions. In the special Games Master level that I've devised for you, you have two minutes in which to save all the 50 lemmings that are released. 
Good luck. As you mentioned, it's a brand new release. It's Lemmings 2. Uh, Games Master calls this one of his favorites. And not only that, it's a Games Master specific level. They're doing really well because we had a specific level for Zool. We've got this coming up. And you know what? It's a cracker of a level that really shows off the new skills that the Lemmings have and indeed the mm. new way that you can play the game. Whilst on the surface it does look very similar to Lemmings 1, under the hood it was quite a different game because Lemmings 1 was predominantly designed for the home computer market. But with the rise of the Super Nintendo and the Mega Drive, DMA were aware that they had to make changes to make the game better adapt for the home consoles. So it involved reworking the engine quite considerably, even if the end result kind of looked the same. Mike Daly, who was one of the programmers, did say though, I think I had too many skills, but the underlying tech was great. I was given the SNES version to do, and it was one of the most complex games I've had to write. Some complex internals that had to run quick on a 3.5 megahertz chip. Tricky stuff, but fun. 3.5 megahertz chip, Luke. We're never going to need anything faster than that. Absolutely not. It's too fast now. Your your headphones probably have a faster <laughs> processor in them. <laughs> but the hard work paid off because the game was very, very well received by critics and was named the best action arcade game at the 1994 Cody Awards. So there you go. Oh. It's actually come up quite recently in my earbuds because Sonic the Comic, the podcast, we're talking about the Mega Drive release which will be out next year. And both the home console versions were very well received, although both still did receive the comments on the Lemmings are very small. Yeah. It was a game suited to higher resolution displays, as this challenge shows to a degree, because once you get a concentration of Lemmings together, it's a mush. It's just a big load of blue. Indulging in some non-violent action in this challenge is a young bloke from Erith. Please welcome Gavin Hansford. <laughs> Now, Gavin, you're, you're no stranger to cute, floppy things, because I believe you once appeared on Wackaday. Oh, that was a very long time ago. I was young, I was foolish, okay? Let's not talk about it. <laughs> Did you actually meet rock legend Timmy Mallet? Oh, yes, he's very, very nice. Well, I know he's a big fan of the show, and I'm sure he'll be cheering you on tonight, Gavin. Well, hoping to climb out of that blue is Gavin Hansbeard from Ealing, who's no stranger to cute, floppy things, by all accounts, because this kid was once on Wackaday. <laughs> Gavin did not want this brought up because he is immediately <laughs> going, it was a long time ago, I was very young, I needed the money, moving on. I'm just glad to hear that Timmy Mallet's a nice guy. Yeah, Gavin desperately wants to move on, but Dom's not letting it go, describing Timmy Mallet as a rock legend. But something else I noticed, Gavin is really twitchy. Hmm. Like, he is restless. He wants to go and save some lemmings. Yeah, he doesn't want to talk about that regrettable child career choice of going on Mallet's Mallet. I mean, to be fair, I wish I'd been on Mallet's Mallet. Oh, absolutely. It's, it's actually one of the things we've talked about this before, but he's kind of like my dream guest for this show. Like a celebrity challenge with Timmy Mallet, I think would have been absolutely brilliant. Utterly brilliant. 
in fact. Utterly brilliant, in fact. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> but Dom does say that he knows that Timmy is a big fan of the show and he's sure that he'll be cheering Gavin on tonight. Renegade's main man Tom Watson is with me for this one. Hello again, Tom. Evening, Dominic. Right now, Tom, this is the sequel to Lemons. Tell us some of the different things you can do in this one. Well, you won't find the same functions really anymore. There are runners, there are jumpers, there are balloonists, uh, there are stompers instead of diggers. It's, it's a very much different game. He's got 50 to get home. He's given 50. He can't afford a single mistake. Okay, then. Well, Tom's gone over the challenge again for me. Really, 50 lemons to get home when any one of them dies and Gavin's challenge is over. We've got Tom Watson making his return to Games Master. We haven't seen him in ages in the booth. Uh, he talks us through the new things that Lemmings can do because it's not just the standard array of things that the Lemmings can do on this one. There's now a whole array of things the Lemmings can do, including jumping. Yeah, they have to get a run-up, but there's balloonists, as I think he calls them. There's also arrows or archers, as most people would refer to them. <laughs> But he points out something very important in this challenge. Not only is it timed, but 50 lemmings are produced, 50 lemmings have to get home. One death, one mistake, challenge done. Zero percent margin for error. Oof, yeah, which does add a huge amount of tension onto this challenge, because not only is it a case of if you make a single mistake, then it's over. This whole level lives and dies by you guiding one single lemming. You have to get one lemming over and then guide them around the rest of the level in order to get almost back to where you started, just underneath it, so you can then save the rest of them and get them through. It's quite incredible, really. It's a beautiful bit of design because a lot of the lemmings levels from the first game were horizontal scrollers with maybe some platforms and some obstacles to overcome. But this one, you do. You go almost clockwise around the level, ending up directly underneath where you started. Because to start with, the first thing he has to do is stop a cannon, mm -hmm. which he uses the archer lemmings for to hit switches on the other side of a block. And this is also where it shows that he had been practicing this because he knew what he needed to do. Oh, 100%. I think you'd have to to really like nail this challenge as much as he does. But once he's got the cannon positioned, he makes one of the lemmings a balloonist, guides them over, using a fan to direct them, which I thought was a unique little gaming mechanism that I don't remember, and I played lemmings too, but I don't remember that. The Bill's Tomato game from last week. Shades of Bill's Tomato <laughs> game. So he guides the guy in the balloon over, and the little dude can grab onto one of the arrows, and at that point, another archer is then used to pop the balloon. The lemming climbs into the cannon, the cannon fires, across a chasm and then the lemming drops down drops down then gets to the running jump and you have to build it up and it's a long old jump over that gap as he gets to where the exit is this is a point where everything could still go wrong because what he has to do is fire some arrows into the wall on the far left of the level to break the fall of his rodent brethren as they drop from above. Without that arrow there, the lemmings will just plummet, hit the floor and die. Not only that, but if the arrow is too low, they will still die when they hit the arrow. Conversely, yeah. if the arrow is too high, the drop will be too far from the arrow to the ground and they will die. And Dominic does say, is the arrow high enough? And the only way he will know is once he activates one of the lemmings above as a stomper to drill down through the ground and start a cascade of these little buggers. It is really, really cool. But as I've written in my notes here, that was academic. 
because this kid knew what he had to do. This kid knew how to get through the level. And this kid just got everything right. Fair play to him. I thought he did really, really well. Absolutely, because he didn't just complete this level. He completed this level as the lemmings dropped down and filed through and lolloped their way into the exit. Last one crossed the line. 12 seconds left on the clock. Hands in the air. Celebrate. You absolutely nailed it, Gavin. Congratulations, Gavin. Well done, Gavin. That was that was an absolute breeze. Was there any hairy moments for you? Yeah, there were a few. One of them was at the beginning when I couldn't get the arrow in the right place. Mm-hmm. Was it that I came in? Well, I think you've made Timmy Marlin very, very proud of you, Gavin, because not only have you completed the challenge, you walk home tonight with Channel 4's most glaring prize, the Golden Games Master Joystick! <laughs> Crowd are well into it. And as Dom says, he made Timmy Mallet very proud. <laughs> Stop bringing him up. You can actually catch Gavin rolling his eyes at that mention. <laughs> or just going, oh, for f***'s sake. <laughs> but not only has he completed the challenge, he also gets the prize, the greatest one that Channel 4 has to offer, the Golden Games Master Joystick. Fun challenge that. I really enjoyed it. Mostly because like, so I played quite a bit of Lemmings, the first one, but I've actually never played Lemmings 2. So it was quite fun to see it in action, see all the new different things that you can do with it. I Yeah, I really got a kick out of this challenge. Same as well. The only way it could have been better would have been the now increasingly standard, ooh, just in the nick of time finish. But Mm. such was the technical mastery of the execution. The fact there were 12 seconds left on the clock didn't bother me at all and didn't make it any less exciting. It was a great challenge. And particularly because we've had a Lemmings challenge on this show previously, which did go nipples north. It was our first ever loss on Games Master. So that in the back of my mind kind of added some more drama to this in a weird way. Can't disagree with that at all. But man, great challenge. Great way to start this episode. As another challenger scales the dizzy heights of climactic ecstasy, we calm ourselves down just a tad to consider the offerings in this week's reviews. And what better way to follow it up than with another reuse link segment? <laughs> yeah, it's all over the show. Shows. <laughs> yes. <laughs> this week we get all cute and fluffy as we look at beat em ups. First up on the links, Dirty Larry is a cop gone bad as he tries to give drug dealer Mr. White a firm corrective hand through eight levels of punch and shoot mayhem. Dirty Larry is very similar to Final Fight. It's well presented, the graphics are gorgeous, and uh, for the Lynx game, this is certainly the best of its kind. Scrolling's really jerky, the animation's okay, and the sound's not exactly anything to write home about. Dirty Larry is crap of the worst order. Walk left, walk right, jump, punch, shoot. Uh, that's it. Well, put him up. It's time for beat em ups in the review zone this week. We've got Frank O'Connor from Super Action, Huge Holmes from Megatech, and John Beveridge, who we saw back in episode 13. And first up on the docket, it's Dirty Larry Cop Renegade for the Atari Lynx. I think this is our first Atari Lynx review. I think it might be. And also, is it Cop Renegade or Renegade Cop? <laughs> I don't, I, I don't, I don't tell you what, I'll do a quick because I've written Cop Renegade. But, I mean, Renegade Cop sounds way more plausible. This is like the Walking Dead doors of Don't Dead Open Inside. Yeah, Cop Renegade. I'm I'm sticking with Cop Renegade, even though it is Renegade Cop. (laughs) You know what? They might have done better with Cop Renegade, but Dirty Larry, no relation, is a cop (laughs) gone bad. He's trying to give drug dealer Mr. White a firm corrective hand. 
This game came out in 92. It was developed by Night Technologies and published by Atari themselves. And it got a mixed reception, as the review here kind of shows. The visuals were praised. Critics and reviewers felt divided regarding every other aspect of the game. But it's actually pretty impressive because in an interview given with Atari Explorer Online back in 1992, Thomas Schenk recounted about the development of this game, saying that he was the sole programmer of the project. Wow. He revealed there were some issues which made it more of the singular scrolling forward beat-em-up than it would have originally been, and also that due to cartridge space, two levels were cut. I guess looking at it as the project of one man, particularly for a console that was quite hard to develop for, I'm fairly impressed by it. However, our reviewers are not. Yeah, I mean, you said that it got mixed reviews, and I don't think you could get more mixed than this lineup, because you've got Frank saying that it's similar to Final Fight, the graphics are gorgeous and one of the best of its kind on the links. Then you've got John, who's less impressed, saying that it's nothing really to write home about. And then you've got Cooch, who's saying it's crap of the highest order. Like, you've really got a mixed bag of reactions there, and then a very, very dismal 46%, which is interesting as well, because Games Master Magazine rated it 76 I'm more inclined to trust Games Master Magazine, especially because of their spot-on review score for Sonic 2. <laughs> but also, man, someone shitting Kooja's cereal this morning. He does not want to be there and he does not want to be reviewing these games. <sighs> Absolutely not. I'm not sure who John Beveridge is, but great surname if that is your real name. Best of the best, a kickboxing-tastic affair with 16 fighters and a whopping 55 moves to duff them up with. It's slick, it's fluid, it's quite deep considering it's a beat-em-up and uh, the whole thing is incredibly professional. The best of the best is a fine attempt, but he's got Street Fighter 2 to compete against. And at the end of the day, I know which one I'd probably be playing. The controls are sluggish and unresponsive. Best of the best, mediocre of the mediocre, more like. Now, you might be able to help me out here because this looks exactly the same as the Panzer kickboxing game that we got back in Series 1. Like, this looks exactly the same as that game. Well, the reason it looks similar as that game is because back in 1990, this was released as Andre Panzer kickboxing for various home computers, as well as the Turbo Graphics. But this was a much more beefed up game for the Super Nintendo. But not only that, the Mega Drive version, which isn't the version that we saw here, was one of the few games to offer official support for the Sega Activator motion controller. You remember those? No, the one? Yeah, I do, yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. Which I reckon probably resulted in a fair few broken vases and smashed coffee tables over the duration for anyone that was playing it. Some interesting comments you got here. Frank said it, calling it deep for a beat-em-up game, which is odd praise indeed. John saying it's not quite as good as Street Fighter 2 and he knows which one he'd rather play. And Miserable Cooge uh, with a slam of the night saying it's not best of the best, it's mediocre of the mediocre, 73%. Yeah, slightly more dignified score. One thing I will say is that martial artist and actor Ron Yuan said in a 1994 interview that while he knows a lot of gamers will disagree, he thinks the best SNES fighting game from a purely technical martial arts point of view is best of the best. Didn't get much notoriety, but my friends and I know martial arts and they go nuts whenever we play. And you know what? That's fair because 16 characters and 55 different moves, that would allow you to fairly accurately present kickboxing. And no one's going to look at Street Fighter 2 and go, well, that's an accurate portrayal. I love seeing fireballs thrown in mixed martial arts matches. Mate, makes the Olympics to me. Sonic Blastman, the punchmongous arcade game, becomes a scrolling fighty console thing with six levels and bonus stages. Walk along, smack people in the gob, um, smack some more people in the gob and kick a few people in the teeth. That's about it. Um, 
it's all done very nicely and with good humour. It's quite enjoyable and I'd recommend it to anyone who enjoys these scrolling beat-em-ups, but at the end of the day, it's just not original enough. And finally on the SNES, this looks fun as fuck. Sonic Blast Man. It's a scrolling beat-em-up version of the arcade game that we've seen pr uh, twice, in fact, on Games Master so far. Uh, Frank takes us through the action, said that it's done with good humour, uh, but bloody hell, you cannot please John, saying he would recommend it, but it's hardly original. 76% for Sonic Blast Man. No comments from the Cooge. He'd buggered off by this point. <laughs> but yes, this is another one of those gimmick arcade games that does get a home console port, but they can't recreate the actual game on the home console. And while it didn't work out well for Space Ace or Dragon's Lair, this game at least just went the simple route and cloned Final Fight or Double Dragon or Rival Turf. It did well enough to get a sequel in a similar format, and I have played this once or twice, and it's not my favourite scrolling beat-em-up on the SNES. That'd be Turtles in Time, as is right and proper, but it is okay. Hmm. It's fun. Yeah, it looks fun. Yeah, that's what I was going to say. It looks fun to play. Uh, it's also one of those games as well that had its female characters, its female baddies, removed by Nintendo of America, which Final Fight also went through when it was ported over to the SNES. A lot of people say video games are just for kids. Well, Letty Edwards certainly proved them wrong when she became a golden joystick winner last year. We took her and two similarly funky oldsters to the Trocadero to spend some quality time together and find out exactly what makes them tick as far as games are concerned. First of all, they politely queued up for a shot of the Suzuka 8-hour motorbike game. Well, I've got two Nintendos. I've got the first one that came out and then they've got this 16-bit Nintendo. And I've also got the Sega Mega Drive. About six years ago, I bought the uh, Amiga. Oh, she can, Grandma. No, I can't do that. Oh, she can, Grandma. Anyway, she put it down, and while she was out of the room, and decided to have a go, and that was it. Well, this is a fun little feature, the Gaming Grannies. Letty Edwards makes her return to the show uh, after King of the Monsters back in episode six. And she's joined by Barbara Jones and Joan Thornley, who go off to the Trocadero to play some games. They're like, go in there, rough up some kids who are on a motorbike game and then win that motorbike game because they're the wicked Gaming Grannies. I, I genuinely got quite a kick out of this. I thought this was a lot of fun. I immediately thought of the Monty Python sketch of Hell's Grannies <laughs> with the way they were going in because, the, of course, Dominic doing the voiceover says they politely queued for the Suzuki A-Tower racing game. Video footage shows them literally grabbing the kids and throwing them off. But we also get to find out a little bit more about all of them, including Letty. I mean, we got Barbara Jones. She says she's got two Nintendos, the original and the 16-bit one, and she's also got the Sega Mega Drive. I mean, that's putting your pension to good use. Absolutely. Yeah, she's not short of a couple of pennies, is she? No. Or she's got a lot of grandkids that she can maybe write it off as a tax break. I don't know. Letty reinforces herself as an Amiga user. And Joan, after resisting having a go, apparently started on this by taking a sneaky game when her granddaughter was out of the room. And that was <laughs> it. She was hooked. Two hours and much burnt rubber later, the girls decided to have a try at virtual reality. They keep your mind alert when you're getting on a bit like me. I completed the lemmings, the first lemmings in six weeks. Well, like Mario, like the Mario Brothers, because with the first, first one, Mario won, my husband and I, we can both play. After a while, however, the true games playing nature of our dashing dames began to emerge. It makes you relax. The greatest achievement is on Tetris, about 146,000. Joan Thornley decided enough was enough and showed the world that her many years as British lightweight champion had not gone to waste on Sonic Blastman. 
we just can't leave it alone, we play it every night before we go to bed. We couldn't sleep without it. But the big question was, would any of our grannies be insane enough to try the rotating queasiness of the R360 machine? Letty Edwards was. When I watch television, it just sends me to sleep. But on my computer, I can just play for hours and hours. I just enjoy playing it. And it's very, very relaxing. And the final verdict? Brilliant. We always get to see them try some VR. And Barbara talks about how like gaming is the sort of thing that keeps their minds ticking along while Letty brags about beating the first Lemmings in just six weeks. That's impressive and that entirely believable because we know to a degree what awaits Letty in the future because she's she becomes one of the videators on Games World. While Joan likes the Super Mario Brothers game because she can play it with her husband, which is just such a wonderfully lovely sentence. It really is. And we get more footage of around the Trocadero and, oh, it's not quite peak Trocadero. It's a while until the Trocadero really hits its stride. It burns brightly, but shortly. Mm -hmm. But lovely footage of them walking around the arcade arm in arm. It's absolutely wonderful. Babs thinks games make you relax. Her greatest achievement is on Tetris, scoring 146,000. Very respectable. Joe, meanwhile, takes the gloves off a young lad and takes a run herself at Sonic Blast Man. I thought it was Frank O'Connor at first. Well, whomever it was, she's showing her years as light heavyweight champion have not gone to waste. And apparently, she thinks you can't leave it alone. They play it every night before bed. They couldn't get to sleep without it. And finally, from Letty of the 360 Machine, she talks about how she finds TV boring, but video games, or computer games really, she can play for hours. And she liked the 360 experience. This, uh, this feature is like the 90s was full of irreverent content. And it, particularly in magazine shows where they were just trying to do things that were a bit different, a bit wacky, a bit off the wall. And this very much feels like a group of lads in their 20s in charge of a TV show where they're like, do you know what would be hilarious if we got some grannies to go down to the Trocadero and play some games? That'll be really funny. And we see more of this from Games Master as we go on, as the show kind of moves slightly away from being a game show, being more in sort of like a lad culture gaming show. But it is, I think this feature is a bit of a precursor for a lot of features that we get later on in the series. Like I think later on in this series, we get one with about Danny Curley and sort of like interviewing random strangers in the street. Like, do you know who Danny Curley is? And I feel like that's the sort of, that's what Games Master is aiming to do. And do you know what? It works better than the PR pieces or, yeah. or the shameless marketing pieces. This feature was fun. It was awesome to see Letty again. It was amazing to see these pensioners playing games because I'll be honest, I thought our kind of generation would be one of the first generations to really play video games into their silver years. Maybe the generation before ours. But here we are in 1992 and there's pensioners already playing video games i love that it's wonderful absolutely and you've got to think as well is that bad influence are doing these features not these features but they're doing the sort of features that games master is doing previously which is what is a cd tell us about the new commodore tell us about nintendo's new advert so if bad influence are doing that and in some ways are probably doing it better then Games Master should lean more into its irreverent ways. Especially because they don't need to worry about it being current or topical. Yeah. They could have filmed this 
right back when they were doing the main filming on the games rig and it wouldn't matter maybe a few of the games wouldn't be as current but this feature has aged better than most of the new breaking technology features well this sadly is the last time we're going to get to see Letty edwards on games master at least we believe that's the case so what better time than to give a bit of a tribute to the great lady herself with the help of her daughter emma edwards We kind of got in touch because we posted up the video of your mum doing the the King of the Monsters challenge yes. in episode six. Yes. And you sort of responded by saying, it's lovely seeing your, your mum's 15 minutes of fame yeah. uh, being shared <laughs> around again. Yeah, I mean, she's still so proud of it. Um, I remember, I mean, I was I was really small. I was actually a child when, when it was recorded and we went along and I still remember the day. And yeah, it was one of her most proud proudest moments. And um she was such a gamer. Well, she still is, actually. She still plays games. I mean, it's more Candy Crush and the like these days than, <laughs> than the arcade. But, um, you know, it definitely one of her most proudest moments. And she's got newspaper clippings from, like, Games Master magazine and everything that was written at the time. So how did she get involved with Games Master? I mean, we watched it. We definitely watched it. I mean, it's so funny because it was like it was kind of touted that she was this like older woman, but she was only in her like early fifties, which doesn't really seem that old at all now. I mean, she's at eighty now. Um, but back then, yeah, we just played. We were just a very, very, very computer uh, gamey household. I mean, I was what twelve or something. We had a Sega Mega Drive. My mum had her. I think it was Amiga because she was playing her Lemmings. And everything and my nieces and nephews were younger so they'd come around to grandma's we'd all just be playing computer games all the time so we were just quite a geeky gamey family in the early 90s so we definitely watched games master i think i believe i can't i can't be sure about this this might be to do a games world later on but somebody had said that they were they'd completed lemmings in a particular time and she'd done it quicker and so she, so she wrote a letter <laughs> And I think it started from there. So she was not going to have that title taken away. So she became the unofficial Lemmings champion of the UK with Games Master magazine. So I think the magazine came first and then they invited her to go on to the actual show. So I think that's what happened. I think it went that way around. The Lemmings thing came into uh, came into reference in the section that uh, we just talked about before talking to right. you, which is the... Uh... The Trocadero, the gaming grannies going on, right. on the rampage, as it were, <laughs> terrorising terrorizing children and teenagers wherever they go. Which... Yes. Which she still does, <laughs> yes. <laughs> it's something we've discussed is that Games Master was often at its best when it tried to do irreverent or fun videos rather than serious, this is a CD-ROM videos, which they never did very well. But um, so Letty was on episode six where she played King of the Monsters against Auntie Marisha, who was an actress portraying portraying a person that actually was an auntie of Dominic Diamond. Dominic Diamond really had an Auntie Marisha. And actually, he it's a bit of a sore point to him because his Auntie Marisha was quite a glamorous lady and always had her fine coats. And the TV show Auntie Marisha was more portrayed like a dinner lady. But from my perspective, and I think from Luke's perspective as well, that challenge was mind-blowing because as growing up, our parents had no interest in computers or games. And what was it like growing up with someone that was 
as much into games as you or even possibly more into games. Well, I was, yeah, I mean, I always make a joke. It was in our household. It was you can do your homework after you finish that level of Sonic. It was like, you know, she, <laughs> she, she was quite an encouraging mother. You know, it was I don't think she had that much of an interest in my, in my academic outcome. Not that she neglected my education, but uh, that wasn't, you know, she let my school take care of, of that. Um, but, you know, she really liked me to be good at computer games. So, yeah, we, you know, it was just something that we, you know, it's nice to do as a family. You know, every family's got a thing they do. And, um, you know, it, being the weird age gap there is in my in my family where I'm actually quite close in age to my nieces. I think you might have spoken to my niece, Ada. Um, you know, we've got quite a close age gap. So it's just something that the grandkids and I could get involved in. And um, she really, I mean, she really did game a lot. I think my mum's always been a night owl. That's always been her particular pattern where my dad, when he was alive, he was a morning person. So he'd be in bed by nine and up at six where she'd stay up till two and then sleep all morning and he'd get me up to school. (laughs) So you could get up at any time and she'd be there on her computer playing computer games till well into the night. Um, which I'm actually more of a morning person like my dad, but I think my I think my niece my niece is um, probably taken after her. It's probably an all night gamer as well. So you said you went down for the filming of uh, the, the King of the Monsters challenge. What was that like uh, on the day? Well, yeah, because yeah, I mean, obviously, I just you know about the set. Like, I don't think we did because obviously, you see this idea that it's supposed to be an oil rig. Is that right? It's a long time yes. ago. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's a gaming oil rig. That's right. It's basically an abandoned oil rig, but it's actually a power station somewhere on the way into London. And it's an amazing place. I think they might have filmed movies there. They should have if they haven't. It's, it is like a, it's like the film of Alien or something. It's really industrial and very cool. And um, I think I was with my I think I was with my big brother. I don't. Yeah, yeah I must have been. I must and I think he watched with me and we got to sort of watch looking down. Um, and then afterwards got to meet Dominic Diamond and that was got quite starstruck. <laughs> so yeah, it was, it was a really great experience. I don't remember a huge amount about it, but that's because it was such a long time ago. <laughs> I remember more about the games world stuff she did afterwards. Cause that was a bit more sort of involved. How was uh, How was Dominic on the day? He was very, he was very sweet. I think he probably gets to meet starstruck little kids all the time. So he seems to manage it well, but I think he really liked my mum. I think he really liked my mum. He, he, he seemed to be quite charmed by her as a lot of people are. <laughs> Which I think is quite telling because as we say, you know, they bring her back for the, the gaming granny segment in the Trocadero. Um, like it's like sort of, did they just give you a call and just be like, Oh, we want to do this uh, fun segment with you. Yeah, I think so. I feel, I have a feeling I, I, I wasn't involved in that and I can't remember why. I don't know if I had school commitments or something, but I didn't do the, I wasn't there for the Trocadero one. I think my sister-in-law went with her instead um I know she had a problem the one story I do remember her telling me from the Trocadero was that um she turned up in a green t-shirt or a green blouse and they were like no we're gonna green screen you you can't do this and she'd had to borrow my sister-in-law who was, who was like a size eight t-shirt so she, she just had to like squeeze this t-shirt on so she wasn't wearing green I remember that being a story about the about the day so you're probably gonna notice that now that she's wearing a, a shirt that's too small <laughs> But yeah, and then she becomes involved with Games World as well. Yes. And a bit like what you just said about Dominic um, and, and his Auntie Marie show, it was the same thing. Like she was only about 55. I mean, she was quite, you know, quite fashionable, really. And then they like was like went to the charity shop and got her, 
you know, a cardigan and a crimpling skirt and put a grey wig on her. And even now at 80, she does not look like that or dress like that. <laughs> and she was just like, oh, my God, no, no, I'm never going to be a kind of grey hair and glasses kind of old lady. So that was quite funny that people thought she was a lot older than she actually was. I was going to say, yeah, because she became one of the videators on there at the Gaming Granny. Uh, did you get to go to any of the filming for that contestant. as well? Was she really? Yeah, and I was really upset because we had, because like my mum had got a chance to play on all these different consoles and all these different things, but I hadn't. I'd had a Sega Mega Drive and I was a Sega girl and I'd only ever played on a Sega. Yeah, I was <laughs> I'm, yeah, currently watching that program on Netflix and it's like me and my housemate were like Sega versus Nintendo. Um, so I'd only had my <laughs> Sega Mega Drive and when we got there, um, all the games were on Nintendo and I so I got kicked out in the first round because I couldn't I just couldn't use the I couldn't use the control pad and I was like oh I look like an idiot my mum's this great gamer and I look like I can't play computer games um but I put it put it down to the fact that um uh, yeah <laughs> had the wrong controller yeah I, I think that's a fair enough excuse yeah. to have. my tools so yeah <laughs> It's fine because we actually we interviewed someone uh, who was also a contestant on Games World. And uh, I mean, he said the only reason he got through is because the games that they played weren't actually really out in the UK yet, but he was an import gamer. Right. So he'd already played them. He was already ace at them. Ah, so, sneaky. <laughs> so he goes, I just, I just sailed through because I knew how to play the games already. Yeah. See, I'm one of these people that I find a couple of games and I just obsess about them um, and go over. And I still do. I still do that. I have one or two games and I'll play them over and over and over and over again. Um, so... I need that bit of time. And so it was things I'd not played before. Plus I was only 13 and I was overwhelmed. So I was like, didn't stand a chance, but it was nice that they let me be a contestant anyway. It's lovely to hear as well, because one of the things we've encountered, because we did look at the very first episode of Games World, uh, which sadly didn't feature Letty, but um, it's a really difficult show to find. Because it was out five days a week, there isn't a lot of it out there. And even the first episode, we're missing the first three minutes. So we kind of had to make it up based on what it was and I still live in hope that I'm someday going to buy a big batch of beta cam tapes or something off of eBay and they'll be marked with Hewland if I if I look in my mum's attic there's probably a box full of VHS tapes where we recorded them all I'll have to look one day because I mean I mean I'm sure we did record them at the time because that's what we used to do isn't it um but you know Sky I mean Sky One was still fairly new like not everybody not everybody had a sky dish back in the early nineties. So it was, it did become a little bit of a cult, a bit of a cult classic and then sort of disappeared. Um, but yeah, it was on quite a lot. And then there was also, cause she did, she was the videator. So she did the contestant stuff, but then on one day a week, it was where, the one where they had the games mistress and they had, um, you know, the, the different animations and she'd give hints and tips on, on certain compete on certain games and then it was like a talking heads thing um and yeah i don't know where you'd find i have looked on youtube but i haven't really found any but yeah we've probably got them in the attic somewhere i have to dust them off honestly if if those tapes exist and you ever want like help (laughs) archiving them i've got all the capture and the video enhancing stuff because (laughs) i mean that's that's gaming history beyond anything we do with this podcast that's the sort of stuff that i'm i think should be preserved and I'm sure Hewland have got it somewhere. I really hope they haven't done a BBC and just gone, skip. 
get the... get rid of that. I mean, it was. I, I mean, one, I remember Games World as well. Particularly, I love the 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 intro and the theme tune, and because it, it was, I think it was like supposed to be like Chung Lee from Street Fighter getting on a train. I can remember it and going. And I used to love the the opening sequence, and it's like, yeah, it was a really good program. And you either do know it if you speak to people, they either watched it and they watched it avidly, or they've never heard of it. You don't get people who might have caught it once because it will have gone from their memory completely. One thing I was wondering is because obviously Letty was on Games Master twice. She went on to be Games World as a videator for season one. How was the reaction from your peers, from other kids? What was the sort of reaction to her being up there and being on these TV shows? Weirdly, at the time, not particularly much because I was at a girls' school. And actually, you know, there wasn't that many girls who were into computer games, really, I found. I had a couple of outside of school boy mates who used to, I used to play computer games with, and they were obviously found that very exciting. And then I don't know, when you're an awkward teenager, you don't know how to, you know, you find feel a bit awkward about things. You don't always talk about them. What I did find is that in my 20s and 30s, like meeting people who remember back they're the people who found it incredibly cool. So like even now, <laughs> you know, at like 40. I was exactly. Say, yeah. It was like, oh yes, I remember that. So as I've kind of got older, I've talked about it more. I mean, anyone who's met my mum will probably have, you know, chatted to her about it if they're into computer games. Um and obviously the, the golden joystick, which my niece now has. So there would be times where I wouldn't even think to mention it, and then I'd have somebody come around and then they'd see the golden joystick on my mum's mantelpiece and would be like <laughs> golden joystick and it's like you know that's quite a I I <laughs> I'd start having an Oscar or something it's like what so then then that would come into conversation but now at the time I think I was I don't remember any of my I, I went to the kind of school where girls like ponies I think I was the only one who was into computer games <laughs> so it wasn't really a big deal at the time you mentioned the joystick that was the other thing that uh that you sent across to us to say like you know here is that golden joystick. It is it's still here. It's, the, it's a family heirloom for you now. Was it like? Was it actually like pride of place on a mantelpiece? Um, yeah, it was in the living room. It was in the living room. Um, yeah, it's always pretty much been in the living room. And then my mum kind of downsized when she moved into. She like uh, lives on her own in like a kind of uh, over sixty fives community now. And then it was kind of bequeathed. It was like passed down. And my niece Ada, I mean, I don't know if you've spoken to her, but like, yeah, she, she you know, she works in VR. Her whole life is computer games. She's like, <laughs> she's the one it was going to go to. So I believe she has it in pride. She's got the Sega Mega Drive as well, which I'm, I'm less happy about because it's like there's hungover Sundays. Was like, oh, I could really have a go on my Sega Mega Drive right now. I think some like retro gaming that would be. I find modern games overwhelming. I like my brain kind of stopped at sort of sixteen bit, and then it was like, oh no, it's too much. <laughs> I still play Digger on my phone because I found it from 1984. It's like great. Um, so yeah, I'd love to go and play some like really retro games on the on the Sega Mega Drive. <laughs> Best console ever. I absolutely. It's it's nice to have someone else on this show that agrees with me that it's the best console, best console ever. ever. Absolutely. Do you hear that, Ash? Do you hear that, Ash? Sorry, signal's breaking up. Ever. It's not coming through, Luke. I can't, I can't quite make it out. It actually amazes me that we're now two seasons through this show and we haven't had a proper Sega versus Nintendo war because we're just slightly too respectful of each other. <laughs> you said that you, your mum still plays games. Is it very much just a case of, like, it's the Candy Crushes, it's your, your yeah, mobile I mean, games she's that she's into now? I mean, she's got her iPad. I would say her eyesight's 
not as good but actually she had laser eye surgery last year to get rid of her cataracts and now she's got better eyesight than anybody she's got this new like laser vision um but yeah she's she doesn't really she doesn't have consoles anymore i think if she was going on holiday she's always somebody who's always got like you know um something in a handbag it'll be like a game gear or a game you know something i don't even know what the latest one mm-hmm. is but a cartridge in, in a handbag <laughs> in case she's bored um but she because um, i want to get her on the switch because i think she'd really like that but i don't think she's a bit resistant to learning new things but yeah so i think kind of candy crush the jewel ones anything like that words with friends she's always got her um card game card games has been a, a lifelong sort of love of hers because she loves cards anyway um and so she's yeah she's on those she plays poker i had to kind of slightly steer her away from the online poker community because i'm like she's going to she's going to lose her pension she's going to lose it all it's like (laughs) calm down um but (laughs) just play with the computer don't play with other people mum it's fine (laughs) she's actually really quite good at cards and gambling games so yeah, she probably she could win a lot of money. I don't know, but yeah, mainly Candy Crush. Like, Forced to be reckoned with. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so, well, she is. At, she is at a lot of games still. Yeah, like and the Scrabble ones. So yeah, words with friends. She loves. Um, I've never got into Candy Crush, so I don't really know much about it. But I know she's those kind of games, the Farmvilles, all those different ones. That anything on the iPad. She's always got the iPad out when I go round. So she's always walking me through her scores for this that and the other well emma thank you so much for taking the time out to You're speak with us and, and coming on to the show uh it, it's been a and uh you know give our best uh to letty as well to you mum, because do. uh we, we appreciate everything that she's given to uh to the game community and uh it, it's been a lot of fun sort of covering her journey as well on this show as well like we we loved the the king of the monsters challenge and uh as, and as i said at the top of this interview like the the, the trocadero the the gaming grannies terrorizing teenagers I, I, it was so funny. I, I thought it was really, really great. <laughs> yeah, no, it's fab. And as she says, I say, it's one of her most proudest moments. And she's going to love that you've done this. This week's celebrity guests thought those reviews and features were a joy to behold. All they'd like now is a little challenge to round things off. Let's comply with their craving and go over to Games Master. I am so pleased you've returned. It could get a mite isolated up here, not to mention a little chilly around the girders. Not that we won't warm you up with my second... <laughs> Aha! Time to settle some old scores. Don't mind me. <laughs> oh, yes. My second touch. I've opted for a Wild West shootout on Mad Dog McCree 2, The Last Gold. Our trigger-happy contestant has three lives who wish to survive a shootout with a gang of Mad Dog's ruffians and rescue their female hostage. Keep those barrels blazing. The seagulls are back to annoy Games Master, but Ash, this time... He's packing. He's packing an anti-aircraft gun, which also makes me once again question, how big are these seagulls? <laughs> I mean, well, we know how big they are. They can shit upon him and it shows up. Are they seagulls or is it actually Rodan from the Godzilla series? <laughs> but this is great because he's like, the seagulls are back. Don't worry. <laughs> and then oh yes the second challenge whoops sorry had nam flashbacks <laughs> yeah sorry anyway mad dog mccree too save the hostages <laughs> keep those barrels blazing 
Because <laughs> really, blazing barrels are the only way you're getting any heating on the game's rig. Yes, this is Mad Dog McCree 2, the sequel to the game that we had back in... Crikey, was it actually episode one? Maybe episode one or two, I think we had, of Games Master? Ancient history at this point, particularly the way video games move. Absolutely it is. But yeah, so it's the sequel to Mad Dog McCree, another American laser game. Basically, I mean, it's borderline the same as the first one. Essentially, almost all these American laser games are the same, to the point where you can just reskin one and stick a new disc in and use the same gun. There isn't going to be much variance on these games. In fact... It isn't until the advent of things like Virtua Cop and Time Crisis that we get some proper variants in these games of being able to choose multiple paths using the duck and cover mechanism. Essentially, when we get away from full motion video trappings. Yeah, and it's become a bit of a trope of the celebrity challenges of Series 2. They've either been very sports-based or they've been getting in comedians or actors to play shooting games because we had Tony Slattery back in Episode 1 of Series 2. We had the lads from The Bill playing Gallagher's Gallery. We had Christian Schmidt playing the Space one. And now we've got Josie Lawrence playing this one. And, I mean, basically all of these challenges are the same and it really lives or dies by how good the guest is. Packing a piece on this challenge is one of the stars of about 753,000 TV stage and screen extravaganzas. Please welcome professional funny woman, Josie Lawrence. Welcome, Josie. All right. Okay, thank you very much. Behave yourselves. Okay, right. Josie, what do video games mean to you? Um, they mean absolutely nothing to me because I've never played a video game in my life and I'm really ashamed to admit that to you young people, but I I'm hopeless at them. They scare me. Oh, so I'm sure you can improvise. I'm sure, <laughs> yes. I I'd really like... There's a lot of video games where people kill each other. Yeah. I think the video games I'd like were, yeah. would be if a little man went around snogging as many people as possible. You that know, would be... I'll have a word with some of my friends, see if we can get one made for you, yes. Josie. <laughs> well, listen, all the best for this chance. If you'd like to go and fondle your pistol in preparation. And thankfully... We've got Josie Lawrence on this one, who is fabulous. In my mind's eye, at this moment in history, I have a very, very vivid picture of who Josie Lawrence is. And if you ask me to describe how she would dress, how she would look and how she would behave, this Games Master appearance totally encapsulates it. And as soon as she came down those stairs, I was immediately reminded of what an absolute massive f***ing crush I had on <laughs> Josie Lawrence because I watched Who's Line? Friday mm -hmm. nights, I was staying at my nan's and so I used to get to watch Cheers and Whose Line Is It Anyway? Friday nights on Channel 4 were great and then a few years later, we got Euro Trash, baby. <laughs> Channel 4 has a lot to answer for with me. So yeah, her real name is Wendy uh, and she said in an interview recently where she said that she's sick of explaining why she's not married and has no children. But according to Wikipedia, she lives in Hackney and has two cats. So that's very, very nice. Cats are children too. She was part of Whose Line Is It Anyway from 1988 through to 1997 and even done some of the American shows as well. Uh, I believe like her best known skill, she was really good at improvising songs, which I've always found to be an incredible talent. She was the queen of the Who's Line hoedown. Yeah. And I have been lucky enough to see Josie Lawrence at least once or twice as part of the Comedy Store Players, where essentially they do off-brand Who's Line because that's, that, that's kind of where Who's Line resides. 
even when it doesn't have a TV show. And while she's had numerous runs on film and television, she's played Mole Flanders at the Lyric. She was in the sadly very short-lived West End version of Acorn Antiques. And just last year, she was in Oklahoma. The one gig she always goes back to is that comedy store players. She describes it as the best part-time job in the world because she started in 1985 and she's never not doing it. And this next bit is something I absolutely loved. It's that she says that the troupe, Merton, Richard Ranch, Neil Malarkey and Lee Simpson and others, they still get paid in the same little wage packets as they did in the (laughs) 1980s and still the same split. Amazing. There is a friendship and camaraderie there that has gone beyond egos because you look at some of those names personally i don't care why she's not married i don't care why she doesn't have kids she has cats she's happy in her career and she appears to be as lovely now as she was then she will always have a special place in my heart both as that teenage crush and as a truly astounding creative and comic force And she is great on this show. In fact, actually, I think that this challenge is undeserving of her presence here. She has this, you know, interview with Dominic Dunn before and she talked about how she doesn't really play a video game. She's never even played one in her life. She doesn't like the killing. She'd rather a game where a chap just goes around and snogs load of people. So maybe what she wants is Leisure Suit Larry. That was my exact same note, man. (laughs) I was just like, oh, she'd love the Leisure Suit Larry games. But much like Tony Slattery, she's toe-to-toe with Dominic. This is what happens when you don't just have a comedian on, when you have an improv comedian whose very lifeblood can be reacting and basically one-upping whoever you're bouncing off of. Absolutely, yeah. Because when Dominic tells her that she can now go and fondle her pistol, there's almost as though this light goes off in her head where she's like, oh, it's that show, is it? Oh, okay. Oh, I can do this show. Although Dominic's attempt at a line of when she's saying how unfamiliar she is with video games, where he goes, I'm sure you can improvise. Ha ha. (laughs) Doesn't go anywhere. Yeah. I felt bad for him because you know what? It's not a bad line, but it just didn't land. And have a little chat with NMS main man, Tim Boone, who's at my side once more. Tim, welcome. Howdy, Dominic. Now, Tim, Josie said she was a wee bit nervous. Is there anything you can do to relieve her? Sure, people are going to be coming at it from all sides. Shoot them all. And I would say to anybody else, shoot from the hip. But I think in Josie's case, shoot from the shoulder. But Tim Boot from NMS is in the booth with Dominic asking if there's anything that he can do to relieve her stress. And he suggests that you shoot from the hip. But really, in this case, it's shoot from the shoulder. It is indeed. And also, you added the word stress. That's not what he said, and that's not what he meant. <laughs> Filth quota high. Also, I loved that Tim, when greeted by Dominic, goes, Howdy. <laughs> but I also did realise that when I was talking earlier about this Josie Lawrence being the Josie Lawrence I always see in my mind eye, I never actually said how she appears, which is the incredibly stylish combination of a white flowing poet shirt with the slightly frilly cuffs and a leather tunic slash waistcoat and that red lipstick that is just boom, it's a punch. And then you've got her stood there holding a plastic pistol. And because she is that good, she sells it. Okay, then, if you'd like to see how Josie Lawrence gets on in the wild and sometimes Willie West, join us after the break. (laughs) 
Hello. Hi. <laughs> Look after Play-Doh. No, you don't, said Play-Doh. Yikes! Where's he gone now? Behind you. Oh, you animal! No, I'm a vegetable. But you can't make something small. Like a snail. Now I've got you. No, I've got you. Oh, oh. Play-Doh has pots full of fun. Can anyone handle the power of color? Atari Lynx, the portable video arcade. Lynx, so packed with action. Racked with attraction. Stacked with more games for total satisfaction. It'll blow you away. Lynx, more fun and games from Atari. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Get up to 30% off wedding jewelry at BlueNile.com and remember the joy of your wedding day forever. Blue Nile offers everything from diamond and lab-grown diamond wedding bands to classic pearls, earrings you can design yourself, even gorgeous sapphire pieces for your something blue. Whatever you choose, Blue Nile's pieces are all graded for excellence for a lasting memento as brilliant as the love that inspired it. Right now, get up to 30% off at BlueNile.com. BlueNile.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash spoken today. If you think you can sing, call Karaoke Challenge. You can record your own song or listen to the best and worst callers from last week. And there's a hundred pounds plus five CDs or albums to be won every week. Karaoke Challenge, 0898 Welcome back to the Games Master Camp, where Josie Lawrence has flown out to try to tackle Mad Dog McCree 2. What she has to do is rescue two Wild West babes. Josie, are you ready? I sure am. Then off you go. The reason why I said before we went into commercial break there that she the, the show is undeserving of her presence is because she spends this entire challenge doing improv this is kind of what they wanted tony slattery to do back in episode one but he didn't really get on board with josie is doing the voice she is reacting to things and she is completely improving it but she's not miked so you don't really hear it so you hear like you hear the loud noises of this arcade game and dominic and tim doing commentary and the roar of the crowd and all the while you can just hear josie lawrence going like and it's such a shame because she's probably doing A plus material, but I can't bloody hear it. Okay, now we're at the second stage here. Now these bodies are locking all over the place, Tim. Yeah, yeah, the top. Now they can come from absolutely anywhere, so be careful. But I've got a feeling. Oh, he's right in a cow park. Oh dear, Mr. Smelly Things. 
it's a real shame. And I'll be honest, they probably didn't expect it after their experience with Tony. But she starts playing the game. First bad guy appears. Boom, he's down. He's gone. Now we get to the second one. And this is where the limitations of laser games come in. Because she does shoot him as soon as he appears out of that saloon door, right between the eyes. But he hasn't entered the hitbox for the game yet. To trigger the next thing. To trigger the next thing. Because, of course, more modern 3D shooters, like your Virtua Cop, like your Time Crisis, the death animation can be cycled at any point. Whereas here, they have to wait until they get to the right point that he can either shoot you or fall off. So the first time round, she shoots him a couple of times and then stops. Because as far as she's concerned, he dead. Yeah. But he isn't because the game wasn't expecting her to shoot him yet. So, boom, she loses a life. She really, really didn't deserve to. She was jinxed by the lack of technology involved in the game. She rescues one of the babes, and then it gets into the second part of this, where a lad falls in some cows. She completes the challenge, and the crowd loses their mind. And this also highlights why they chose these games for the celebrities, because you don't need to know how to hold a joystick or a joypad or perform a dragon punch or any of this stuff. You need to be able to play a shooting gallery game at the fair. Yeah. Point and click, almost. Point and shoot. And sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't. And I'm so glad that this is one of the times it worked. I was grinning all the way through this challenge. They're, they're very boisterous lot. Very boisterous. I think, I think I'm... I think it must be you. Listen, that was that was amazing. You were really nervous beforehand, but I was, that was really incredible. nervous. But I just had to save those women. Uh, uh, what? You looked quite at ease with a pistol there, Josie. I'm yes, a bit... yes. Well, I can handle certain pistols, I suppose. Oh, okay. And in this post-match interview, this is where Josie really comes into her own. She talks about the handling of certain pistols, she suppose. <laughs> and then when she gets the golden joystick, Dominic Diamond is ready and waiting to give the Annabelle Croft. I know where you're going to sing that. And she's like, I'll have to go home and work out where to put it. All right, I'm sure you will. Boop, straight in there. She's going to go home and work out where to put it herself. Yeah, diamondism right back at you, Dom. <laughs> oh, what a fun challenge. What yeah, such she was a great. fun challenge. So we both think Josie is lovely. But Luke, you got your heart back in your hand. Did Dom think she was lovely as well? Well, it's funny enough, actually. It's quite a mixed little story, this. Uh, Dom writes, The all-singing, all-dancing, multi-talented Josie was one of the big surprises on the last series of Games Master. I thought, here we go again. She's only coming on because Tony Slattery's been on. To put it plainly, I thought she would fail miserably. She was playing Mad Dog McCree 2. She'd never played it before. She flew out to the rig an hour early and got some practice in under the watchful eye of Doug Johns, Games Master's chief playtester and the bloke who comes up with most of the challenges on the show and a previous guest on this podcast. So I'm thinking to myself, this challenge won't take long. She'll lose quickly and I'll have a nice cup of tea. Only I couldn't, because she obliterated the challenge with a masterful display of sharpshooting and walked away with a golden joystick. I didn't even get a cup of tea, which was not a problem because Josie was a smashing lady. Games playing skills, four stars. Personal niceness, four stars. So while a bit grumbly because he didn't get a cuppa and possibly a little treat from Auntie M's sweet tray, he thought she was lovely as well. Lovely. Lovely. Hello, Games Master. What is it that is um, tormenting you is there a way to defeat the Stormtrooper transport in Super Star Wars? For novice game players, this is indeed um, rather difficult. At the beginning of the level, you should choose Chewbacca, as he has the highest stamina 
and will give you more time to dispose of the Empire's minions. When the transport enters the scene, go forward and crouch underneath it. From there, you should be able to take out the lower gun turret and the two back ones without losing too much energy. Now go to the right of the transport and take out the last remaining gun, leaving the vehicle defenseless. You should now have no trouble finishing it off. Thank you very much. Our first kid in the consultation zone wants to know how to beat the Stormtrooper transport on Super Star Wars. The key here is to pick Chewie as he has more stamina. You can crouch underneath, take out the guns, and then you should have absolutely no trouble. I'm looking forward to seeing more Super Star Wars in the consultation zone, particularly as we get the release of Empire and Jedi as well. Yeah, and some real shade thrown from the Games Master at the beginning of this one because it goes, oh, yes, this is a problem for novice players. <laughs> you goddamn simp i mean really what are you even doing here are you allowed out of the house by yourself hello games master on pinball fantasies i can make the cheat for extra balls work which you gave me last week but i still cannot get a high score is there any other tips you could give me gosh you really are displaying a remarkable lack of talent you're in luck however but i do have another cheat in store when the game scrolls down showing you the table Quickly type in Digital Illusion. Now your ball will never go out of play. If you can't amass a high score now, my heart bleeds for you. Thanks a lot. The sassiness does continue with the second kid because it's the pinball fantasies kid from last week. Because um, he's got you the mean he's back cheat. and we're going to see him again. <laughs> <laughs> what were the odds of that, Luke? Because he's got the infinite balls cheat from last week. But are there any other tips? And Games Master talks about how well this really does show off your lack of talent. Yeah, the cheat is as the table is scrolling down, you type in the word digital illusions and essentially what this does is make it impossible to lose the game so if you have this with the infinite balls cheat from last week as well and there's literally you can max out the score whenever you want well it kind of actually makes the infinite balls cheat almost worthless because this cheat stops the game (laughs) this cheat stops the ball falling out of play now we only ever see in the video footage it trying to go down the middle so i suppose it could meet it could still go down the gutters yeah maybe but even so dear lord kids you better get a high score out of this i don't (laughs) want to see you back here again we've made the promise not to punch down and i know these are queries that you've been fed by a producer but please don't come back for more help on this game please hello games master just get on with your question please young man on European club suck on the Mega Drive, I can't get enough power into my kicks. What should I be doing? Rather a cheeky one, this. Go to the password screen and enter the word three on the top line, shredded on the second line, and wheat on the third line. You will now be blessed with shots of awesome power. Thanks a lot. 
And our final kid wants more power on European club soccer. So on the password screen, type in three shredded wheat and you will now have awesome power. Well, we got this game on the Mega Drive as European club soccer. It did get retitled and reskinned for other markets. Over in Japan, it became J-League champion soccer and North America got world trophy soccer. The Japanese port, as the name would indicate, is based on the league system with the J-League teams in instead of the European teams. And the North American version replaces the European clubs with worldwide national teams, but as a result, has a much more limited selection. However, despite these changes, all three versions contain the same winning screen featuring both a player and a goalkeeper raising the Champions Cup, indicating the original title. It's sad, when you go to the effort of replacing all the teams, and in case of the American one, removing a number of teams, that you don't go, maybe we should botch the winning screen a bit, just in case. Or maybe they assumed that no one in Japan or America would play that far. Who knows? Maybe. Who knows? But it's time for our final challenge, and we're not heading straight to Games Master. We're first going to speak to Dominic Diamond. Whereas, what are we doing, Dominic? For our final challenge tonight, it's time for one of our special magazine challenges. You may remember earlier on in the series, we had one on Street Fighter 2. Now it's the turn of Sega's Wunder Hedgehog Sonic 2. What we did was we asked four Sega magazines each to nominate their champion. We'll have a semi-final this week, one next week, culminating in the grand final in two weeks' time. So, for our first semi-final, please welcome Paul Davis from Mean Machine Sega and Dave Goodyear from Mega Drive Advanced Gaming. Welcome, Paul. All right, all right Dave. Now, first of all, Paul, a lot of kids would love to work on a magazine. Is it all work, work, work? How much time do you actually spend playing games? Well, we spend about at least four hours a day playing the games. Um, but basically, there's a, a lot of writing. And uh, there's a lot of pressure to, you know, to get things finished. Well, I know, listen, up at Maverick, you work desperately hard, oh, Dave. Yeah, desperately hard. This challenge is right up my alley. And I'll be honest, same. I was excited for this series of challenges more so than Street Fighter 2 because while Street Fighter 2 gameplay does improve with years and if you look at the way people play the game now versus the early to mid-90s, radically different and way more exciting, Sonic 2 is Sonic 2. If you've played the first game, you'll have built the skills you need to give us an entertaining run on the second. And thankfully, that turns out to be the case. I was going to say, not too many spoilers for the upcoming weeks, but it's different levels. Like It's a different level here. It's a different level next week. And I think the final is the bonus stage. It's cracking. It's really great. And I'm glad they've gone single platform magazines because it means that in theory, everyone should be on an equal footing in the canon world of games magazines, where if you work for me, Machine Sega, you will never play a Nintendo. That's... <laughs> That's treachery. That's treason. <laughs> Absolutely. Because first up, we've got Paul Davis from Me Machines and Dave Goodyear from Mega Drive Advanced Gaming. And Dom says to Paul that lots of kids would love to work in a magazine, but is it all work, work, work? Now, this is a question that was posed before. I prefer Paul's answer where he says they spend about four hours a day playing games, but also four hours writing. There's a lot of writing involved and a lot of pressure to get things finished on time. I think that's actually a pretty accurate description and way more grounded and less smug than what we had before. Absolutely. Because yeah, it is, it's a kind of a typical kids show question of just like, you've got the dream job, right? Like they had it with Danny Curley, like how, you know, how much are you play testing games? How much do you actually, how many hours a day are you spending playing games rather than being at school is, you know, is essentially what they're saying. But he gives the most sensible answer, which is, no, it's my job. 
yeah, I get to have to play the games, but I've also got to do a heck of a lot of writing to meet magazine deadlines. I mean, you work in a magazine-style format at the moment. I've known various other journalists. And while, yes, you do have to watch videos, read things, listen to music, play games, you've also got to meet the deadline because she needs to go to the publisher. And I can only imagine that that's gotten even worse with the internet because you no longer have monthly deadlines. You have daily and weekly deadlines. I mean, hell, it's what we're doing here right now. For some <laughs> reason, we thought we should release this series weekly. <laughs> There have been a few times where I'm fairly certain I've regretted that decision, and I'm sure you may have as well. Well, I was going to say, like, to peel back the curtain somewhat, last week's, or well, a couple of weeks' episodes ago, Patreon episode went up on Patreon about an hour before it actually had to go out. So I was up at 5am to finish the edits on it because I couldn't get it done the day before. If we make it to the end of this run without missing an episode, it will be a miracle. But also, we may have a shot at getting into Guinness at that point. <laughs> or just drinking a lot of it. Could be. But anyway, we don't actually know what level we're playing. So let's head on over to Games Master and find out what it is. To start off the Sonic 2 challenge, I've opted for the speed test on the first level of the Emerald Hill Zone. Quite simply, whoever completes the level in the fastest time wins. Best of luck. So, now you know, speed challenge on Emerald Hill Zone 1. How do you fancy your chances, Paul? Well, I've been spiking Dave's coffee before the show, so uh, I'm hoping uh, that'll make a difference. All right, now, Dave, exactly what's you been spiking your coffee with? I don't know, it's probably something hot and wet. It probably is, all right. What a great level to start with. Simple as, really, isn't it? We'll start with the first level. And it's great because it doesn't matter how much you suck at Sonic the Hedgehog 2, you'll have seen this level. If you can manage to stick the cartridge in the Mega Drive and not up your bum, you'll have seen this level. <laughs> Yes, we're playing Emerald Hill Zone. It's a speed test. The fastest wins. Uh, Paul has been spiking Dave's coffee, apparently. Uh, but And Dave said it was with something hot and wet. I'm presuming they mean cum. Or piss. Or pi oh, yeah, maybe that makes more sense. But to be honest, for either of those, I'm not sure how that's meant to impede his performance on a game. If they wanted <laughs> to do that, I don't know. Whiskey? Whiskey. Whiskey works with yeah. coffee. Or Auntie Marisha's cooking. Or you put in Rehypnol. You know, like that lad uh, in Kingsman the Secret Service who spikes their drink so they can do the final challenge. Speaking of Kingsman the Secret Service... As if Sonic the Hedgehog 2 wasn't special enough, I have the very special Jane Goldman from GameZone with me. Jane, welcome. Hi. Now, Jane, speed challenge. They can't hang about. Any tips for them? Well, every second counts here, doesn't it? So the secret is find the quickest route and find the speed boots. Okay, let's hope our competitors bear that in mind. So it is the person who is the fastest to get through Emerald Hill Zone 1 goes through to the final. Jane Goldman is in the booth, the writer of Gingsman the Secret Service. Jane's here. She's going to be here for the next few weeks now, as you mentioned last week, in the same outfit. Um, and she talks about how this is every second counting. It's to find the quickest route you need to. Find those speed boosts. And that's what funks up Paul here, really, because the route that he takes doesn't have the speed shoes. Granted, I, he's not the smoothest Sonic player anyway. And, you know, he gets caught, he gets caught on a few of the ramps and, and things like that. But not getting the speed shoes is really his downfall on this. Also on commentary, Dominic and Jane agree that tails should be ignored, which I think is very wise advice in general, <laughs> in life. But also, Luke, did you feel the PAL NTSC slowdown on this one? <laughs> I know. <laughs>
because I'm watching this going, wow, this game feels slow. <laughs> and it's not just because we're not watching 2020 speedrunners on this game who are knowing it inside and out. Yeah, that and that power slowdown, you feel it. And he does manage to pick up the pace, though. But yeah, he gets knocked back. He hits some of the bounce back springs that catapult you back across the level. Particularly because there's a moment, and if you've played the game, you'll know exactly what it is. When you hit a spring that's in the floor and it springs you up to uh, one of the loop-de-loops that's got a spring attached to it. So you spring from one to the other, and that takes you onto the platform. And he cocks that up three or four times before he eventually gets up there. And I'm like, mate, this is a speed challenge. Just jump over the first spring and just carry on going. Also, there's a couple of ramps where realistically what he needs to do is hit the bumper at the bottom and it will catapult him up. And he tries to run up it and he's never going to have the speed he needs. But also, I was like, just drop down and spin dash. It's the game mechanic they added to the thing to allow this to be possible. But he crosses the finish line at 56 seconds. Which, given everything that went wrong in that challenge, is quite remarkable. Jane, a brief verdict on Paul's performance. Well, I did say go along the top, and I did say speed boots, and he didn't listen. He ignored you twice. I pity any man who ignores you, Jane. Okay. Dom does ask Jane for some comments on the run, and she says she did say go along the top, and did say find the speed boots, and he ignored them. And Dom pities any man that ignores Jane. You listening, Rossi? (laughs) Don't ignore Jane. Well, Dave is up next, and this boy knows how to play this game. He powers through, takes the top route, gets the speed shoe, glitches through a wall, does it in 30 seconds. Boom. Nailed it, mate. I tell you what, whatever his coffee was spiked with, I'll have what he's having. Now, first of all, Paul, it wasn't terribly close, that. You must have an excuse up your sleeve. Well, he must have switched the drinks or something. Either that or I've been working far too hard recently. What have you got to say about that one, Dave? Um, well... Unfortunately, I think I had the advantage because I, he went first and I went second. That's, so. that's very, very sporting of you, Dave. All right, well, it'd be nice to see if you're as sporting when you come back in two weeks for the grand final. How do you fancy your chances for that one, Dave? Well, we'll have to wait and see. I'll have to get some practice in and see how it goes. All right, then. It's nice to get such committed games players on the show. Yeah, Paul even says as much. You think that Dave switched the drinks, either that or he's actually working too hard. Uh, Dave says that he had the advantage because he went second and he got to see all the mistakes that Paul made. And also which route he took. And I'll be honest, I think they maybe should have done what they did in season one, which is have the other person go and stare at the dials in this case, because it really does put that first person at a disadvantage. Yeah. And this is a trend that we will, spoilers, see continue next week. But before we get to that, man, I, I love this. I really like these sort of little mini tournament things that they do. It's on a game that I love. I love that it's magazine writers doing it. And I also love that we're getting a lot of variety in this because, yeah, like you, you're right that the Street Fighter one was fun, but it, it, it did feel like it was the same three fights over the three weeks. Whereas this one feels like it's three distinct challenges. Absolutely. Because knowing what level comes next week and knowing what they use for the final, very, very different challenges. They're speed runs, but you cannot approach this level the same as you approach next week's level. Absolutely. Yeah. Does not work. I'm excited for next week's challenge because it's such a great level. Yeah. And you know what else I love about this as well is that Sonic 2 has a two-player option, but they've opted instead to do these speedrun challenges as opposed to just play the two-player game. As much as we may like that two-player game, it does take a hit on performance. (laughs) Yeah, perhaps. Yeah, you're right. Well, we've run out of time once more. The dinner gong has sounded. Auntie Manisha's done us some halibut lightly tossed in brine. I'll see you next week. Good night.
Well, we've got halibut lightly tossed in brine on the dinner menu this week. So a bucket of seawater with a fish in it. Yes, that's that's exactly what we've got. So we're fasting. <laughs> Again. So that is going to wrap it up for episode 22 of series two. Ash, what did you make of it? Well, it may have been the gimmick from the last Red Nose Day, but I'm going to use it here. This was a stonker of an episode. This was winner from bell to bell. Yep. It's probably one of my favourite episodes of season two because the first challenge, masterful gaming. The celebrity challenge, a winner and such a great contestant. The reviews were fun. The reviews were fun. That was perhaps the weak point, I think, the reviews. But there was a really good little feature, a great set of consultation zones, including continuity from the last time where the guy was after more pinball tips. And then this final challenge, setting off an amazing tournament of magazine journalists battling it out on Sonic 2. This episode delivered on almost every single level. Yeah. I love this. I'm in complete agreement with you. It was such a great episode. T to B, top to bottom just fun i actually really enjoyed the review zone as well i thought because we got a lot of variety of thought and the games felt so like this seems weird to say but they felt very new and and relevant because it was beat-em-ups which was the style at the time so we had that we had a very fun feature to go alongside that the consultation zone was fun like the, all that consultation zone was missing really was things like zelda 3 and super mario to make it feel very much of its time we get zelda 3 next week so it's cool we do indeed yeah yeah <laughs> But like it's, I, I I loved it. I thought it was really, really great. I'm not sure if it's one of my favorite episodes of the series, but oh man, I loved it. I mean, it's, it's easily in the 90s. Same for me. I'm going 93%. I'm, I'm going to stick bang on 90. Uh, but yeah, I thought it was awesome. Loved it. And that is going to wrap it up for episode 22. Thank you so much for listening. Please do consider giving us a little subscribe if you haven't already and a little rating and review. They really help us get noticed in the podcast feed. Like Snowbirds, who wrote amazing show, proper blast from the past. Love retro gaming, loved Games Master. You have to listen to the show if you've ever had a small interest in either subject. The guys have great banter and I've even started contributing to their Patreon as they're trying to add more 90 shows a must listen thank you so much for that lovely review i need to write more reviews under pen names clearly (laughs) i'm kidding i don't have anywhere near that much time or creativity it all goes here And you can get in touch with the show feedback at underconsultation.com and we're on the old social media channels at underconsolepod on Twitter and at under.console on Instagram. Indeed, and you can also find us on Discord. Link will be in the show notes. Come along, join in. We've been talking GameCube recently. There's been discussions about the possibility of the big breakfast coming back. I'm still not sure if that was a real thing or just a dream, but let's make it happen. Let's bring the big breakfast back. And if you want to be like Snowbirds, you can back it over at patreon.com forward slash under console pod, where you can get bonus 90s episodes. Now that we have hit our first Patreon target, thank you all so much to our backers over there. Our first episode review is on the Crystal Maze. And you get other perks as well, like each episode a week early and ad-free at the £5 level. And at the £10 level, you get a wicked sweet merch pack that's got a voucher for our t-shirt. It's got pogs and limited stock. It's got cool sweet 
in there. It's got mugs. It's got stickers. It's got badges. It's got everything you need to represent Games Master and our love for early 90s gaming. And whether you back us or not for that discount voucher, our t-shirt is available now in limited supplies from underconsultation.com, along with other mugs and badges and stickers. So really, there's multiple ways to support this podcast, but the most important way of supporting is by listening. And we would love to have you again next week as we dive into episode 23 of Games Master. Four episodes left on this season. And you know what? No spoilers. It does almost feel like we are going out on a bit of a high here. We really, really are. Thank you so much for listening. We'll see you again in seven days time. Take care. Good night. powers the world's best podcasts. Here's a show that we recommend. The Real Housewives is a guilty pleasure for most, but if you're looking to not feel guilty about that pleasure, tune in to Everything Iconic with me, Danny Pellegrino, where I break down all the messy moments and behind-the-scenes antics of Bravo's popular franchise. And on Everything Iconic, I also interview celebrity guests like Kelly Ripa, Kiki Palmer, Drew Barrymore, Cameron Diaz, and more about their guilty pleasures, their past work, and so much more. So if you're pop culture obsessed and find yourself watching way too much reality TV like me, tune in to Everything Iconic with Danny Pellegrino, wherever you listen to podcasts. ACAST helps creators launch, grow, and monetize their podcasts everywhere. ACAST.com.